Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london, london is blue podcast, podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, host Brandon, joined by my co-host Nick and Dan. Dan, the power of podcasting. It was less than 12 hours ago, I was saying the exact same thing. Double duty with the AM Matt Law recording, but it's one of our favorite. It's the Mm -hmm. best uh, two times a month. Pulling the pod together. I mean, no no offense, Nick, but, you know, we get Matt and we get to talk about some deeper football issues, uh, you know. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, if you guys don't need me, if you don't need me here, I can uh, I can head back to bed. It's fine. Hey, come on! I don't want to cause divisions. We're a team. <laughs> we're a team guys. Come on, guys. It's true. We are going to jump into it as a team. We'll, we'll bring along Nick. Um, but hey, what we're going to be talking about is Tuchel's first few weeks of the club. He's had a strong run of form. Also comes with a host of changes that we'll dig into, as I kind of mentioned on our. <clears throat> match review against Newcastle. It's I think we can start to read into his lineup decisions. It's it's been long enough. So we'll touch on those. And then after the break, we'll say, you know, even though most of us are snowed in or experiencing colder weather, it's not too early to plan for summer, it seems. And while we'll follow up on a few of Matt's comments, already Chelsea's transfer window focuses and challenges. Um, we'll kind of open it up at the end and, and and see where see where everything goes. But those are the two for sure. So Jumping into this one, I think it's fun time to bring in Matt after this Newcastle match. Not because it was amazing, but because of all the changes and the lineup things we can dig into. Uh, he's been here for three weeks now, mm. and apparently even Keppa likes him. So uh, Lampard was sacked. Tuchel is appointed as a replacement. How is what is your sense of Tuchel's kind of? first three weeks at Chelsea because first time we talked it was all so fresh and new we were just kind of reacting to the change he's had a few weeks he's five five matches unbeaten four wins in a row yeah I mean I I think I described it earlier today on Twitter with a piece I wrote of it's been the perfect storm really for Chelsea you know his his arrival has coincided with Liverpool imploding Tottenham sliding back struggling um, obviously a good run of fixtures and that's not to take any credit away from him because he's done done things that have definitely um, breathed some life back into Chelsea. But everything coming together, it's provided the perfect storm and, and sort of 
all together has, has pushed Chelsea into the Champions League places. I mean, I was talking to someone at Chelsea last week and we were discussing the, the start that, that Tuchel's had and, and what he's been doing. And obviously they're impressed with him, but they, they were honest enough to admit that they, they said, look, even if you'd have said to us that we were going to win three or four games on the bounce, we'd still assume that we were going to be kind of seven points outside the top four because we just assumed that Liverpool and everybody else would keep winning because six or seven weeks ago, that's how it looked. So the fact that this has all happened at the, the same time is remarkable from Chelsea's point of view, but probably also should carry a little caveat for the fact that maybe things are going to get tougher down the line, that, you know, everything everything surely can't go this much to plan from now until the end of the season. There's going to be bumps on the road. So so we can't anticipate another three or four game loss streak from Liverpool, a implosion from Mourinho at Tottenham. Uh, you know, we, we, I, I think that point that you made, though, is very interesting is, you know, how much good luck can Chelsea actually get this season, uh, particularly as the next round of fixtures involve two Champions League matches against Atletico Madrid, matches against uh, a Man United team that's also vying for top four, it definitely becomes much more challenging. You know, from your mind, is there a sense on what the expectation is through the the month of February? Like, what would constitute a a acceptable February? Not maybe like a perfect February is you win everything, but what's yeah. an acceptable February look well, it, like? It, it's it's kind of it's, we we used to discuss this with Lampard a little bit. He's he's inadvertently put pressure on himself now, which he would want to do. You know, we talked to him about it last night and, you know, this this is what he wanted to do. He wanted them to get them into the top four again as quickly as possible. And then the pressure is on them to hold on to that place. And I've been impressed with with what he's done with the squad, with the reintegration of a few players, um, some of the sort of political moves made in clever. But you can't get away from the fact that three, three of the victories, Sheffield United, Newcastle, Burnley, of an aggregate of 6-1 in total, have come against clubs that Chelsea beat in the first half of the season, I think maybe 8 or 9-1. So there's not a lot of difference there, really. They've, they've only done there what they did before and what, what they'd be expected to do. So this next set of games now, like you say, Madrid twice, United, Leeds away, because you're never really sure which Leeds you're getting, can be a very difficult match, can be an easier match. Um, Everton, Everton, who again, actually Everton away from home are, are more dangerous than they are at Goodison at the moment. I think this next group of matches is going to provide a much clearer picture of whether what we're seeing now is the sort of genius of Tuchel or whether what we're now about and the circumstances coming together. This time in three weeks, I think we'll be able to assess that much better. Can you maybe talk about some of the dynamics within the squad, Matt? Like, obviously, Keppa's the name on everyone's lips right now, but you look at a guy like Rudiger or Kovacic and Jorginho, for example, there are a lot of players who may not have felt the love under Lampard, who, are, mm. who have reemerged um, in a much clearer light under Tuchel and that's in place of some players who were uh, high priced acquisitions over the summer and who, who are, who are now playing a huge role. So he maybe give a sense of, of the squad balance and how he's trying to manage all these different personalities. Look, what I think he's been really clever at doing is he's um, the disaffected players who I think it's obvious Alonso, Rudiger to a certain extent and, and Kepa 
And I would add into that probably Kovacic and Jorginho, who who knew that Lampard had doubts about them and and wasn't really sure on how he wanted to use them or whether he wanted them going forwards. Um, what he's brilliantly done is he's immediately, by reintegrating them, got them all on side. So those players who felt disaffected, they're immediately buying into Tuchel. They, they must be loving Tuchel. You know, the, the guy comes in, puts them back again, puts some faith in them, they get the, the results. They're going to training every day thinking we're now with a guy who, who knows what he's doing. That's not to say that, that Frank didn't, but that's how you would feel as a, as a footballer. So I think that's really clever. And there's not, not been time yet for the players who he's left out to become a, particularly annoyed by it. And they've probably played enough anyway that they're not going to be disaffected. You know, Reese James isn't disaffected yet. Ben was disaffected yet. And Golo Kante's only just come back from injury. That may come in time if they carry on sitting on the bench because those aren't players who are going to want to sit on the bench very long. But at this present moment, I think it's a very clever move by Tuchel. And I think it has breathed some energy into that squad and won him trust very early on from a lot of players who who were feeling disaffected from Chelsea. And that, that has helped the squad atmosphere immediately. It's going to bring challenges in the future, no doubt about it. But he had to think about the here and now because without a fast start, top four was was going to be out of reach very quickly. Right. And I think, with, you know, with that being said, if he continues to focus on the Rudigers, the Kovacs, Jorginhos, you know, whomever, and then what happens with your Zumas? What happens with your <laughs> Reese James, to your point, your N'Golo Kantes? So he's going to have to reintegrate them as well. And we've seen pretty much everyone play. Except Zuma. I think he's like the last one to not have featured, minus the cup match, which... Well, Zuma's gone from being the first choice centre-back to the fifth choice now that Aspie's a centre-back again. Yeah. Which which has got to be tough. Um, and look, if it carries on for Zuma, I think he'll want to go in the summer. He could, Zuma can't be a fifth choice centre-back. But that's a long way down the line. Right. And what we what we don't know at the moment, the reason it's hard to judge where this leaves players with their futures, we don't know whether everything that Tuchel now is doing is a sticking plaster, whether he's come in, looked at it and thought, right, that, that, that group of defenders I've got, the vast majority of them played in a certain system under Antonio Conte, where it was one of the best defences in Europe. So I'm immediately taking that and I'm going bang, bang, bang. Rudiger played under Conte, Christensen played, I know obviously Thiago started, but also Christensen played in that role under Conte, and Aspie did. I've got Alonso on the left, I'm going to use Hudson-Odoi as my Victor Moses. And you're immediately straight into that system at the back that Conte had, which was very successful. That could be a long-term strategy, but it could equally be a sticking plaster, and a very smart sticking plaster, to get Chelsea through till the end of the season, or to get Chelsea through to a point where Tuchel then does something else. That's what we don't know at the moment. We don't know whether he's talking glowingly about Jorginho and, and Kovacic as these two sixes. But again, I couldn't say for any certainty that that's, that's a long-term vision or that's a here and now thing. Only time's going to tell on that. So then when you think about Kante's future, when you think about Zuma's future, when you think about Ben Chilwell's future... It's really too early because if it's a sticking plaster, those guys will be back in at some point. So my my big thing with this, and, and you know, as you guys, everyone's excited about this Keppa stuff right now. To be fair, I have overall, it seems like Tuchel, which we expected, 
wasn't really going to be phased by being able to manage a lot of these players. You know, the the names he managed at PSG are some of the best in the world. Um, so him coming to Chelsea, I feel like he's done a really good job. Again, I think he's surprisingly like transparent with the media. I think mm-hmm. he's surprisingly transparent with us as fans. And in the Keppa thing... It was the biggest, most talked about thing for 90 minutes until he spoke and he explained it. And we all said, okay, carry on then. <laughs> Nothing to see here. It just seems like he manages these situations like a professional. I mean, like someone who has a lot of experience. The, the clever thing what he did last night was because I'm looking at it from a reporter's perspective. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and let you into how a reporter looks at these things. So, you know. I've got to be honest, I don't think anyone got wind of the Kepa selection. I think the club kept that very quiet all day. Sometimes these things get out. Sometimes they they get written. Sometimes you know them, but they don't get written because you're not allowed to write it. It was kept a secret yesterday. I don't think anyone particularly knew about it. So an hour or so before kickoff, you see the Kepa news. And once you've digested it and thought about it, as a reporter, the next thing I'm thinking of, well, this gives me a problem for a few days because now up till the Southampton game or the Atletico Madrid game, I'm going to have pressure on me from my office and from fans and just from my own professionalism. Is Kepa now the number one or is Mendy the number one? Who plays against Southampton? Who plays against Atletico Madrid? What's that done to the dynamic of the dressing room? I was envisaging a tough couple of days of work ahead because I was envisaging having to chase the story around for two days and it being difficult. And Tuchel was really clever because he just came out and explained the situation and was very open and honest and in actual fact killed the whole thing as a potential story or in any way any sort of controversy and explained it away and, and confirmed that Mendy will be back in. I was hugely grateful because it's meant a much easier 48 hours for me. But but it's also a sensible move because it, it does... Otherwise, there's a vacuum of news and potential kind of negative or slightly controversial reports around what's going on with the goalkeepers and it just kills it stone dead so I thought that was very clever management by him and very clever management of the media too you know I think uh you know we've talked about a couple players who are trying to find their way back in or integrate I think one of the maybe the biggest beneficiaries you know we talked about him being the the Tuchel's Victor Moses is Callum Hudson-Odoi who's now getting a chance to play in different positions but getting minutes on the pitch. And so, you know, how are you viewing his integration into the team at this point? And, you know, particularly playing this wingback role when we thought maybe Reese James would be the guy in that position too. You know, is it just coming down to wanting more attacking options on the pitch? You know, what, how, how do you see this playing out? Well, look, they've played three of the teams. They've played, in actual fact, four of the teams. In actual fact, five of the teams, because I'm going to count Tottenham in this. They've played teams in the league who who Chelsea are always going to have most of the possession. You know, Wolves don't have a lot of possession. Uh, Tottenham don't under Mourinho. Sheffield United don't have a lot of possession. Burnley, Newcastle, none of them have lots of possession ever. So I do think the selection is based slightly with the opposition in mind because they were always going to have a lot of possession of the ball. They were always going to be on the front foot. The impetus was always going to be on Chelsea to break these sides down. And with Alonso and Hudson-Odoi on the, the, the flanks as, as the wing-backs, you can really overload the flanks is, is what we've seen. And it's also helped that Tuchel's kind of mixed up the front three by playing these two tens rather than a flat front three, which they were playing. Um, 
I mean, let's face it, Hudson Adoy has been excellent and his work rate's been incredible. I mean, the first game against Wolves, I thought, was the best example when he was the best player going forwards. And then he actually saved Chelsea from not losing the game with an incredible last ditch tackle and his work rate's been excellent. But he's essentially played as a winger in all the games. What will be really interesting with, with the selection and with looking at Hudson Adoy in particular, because we know it with Alonso a bit more is when they play a team who's on the front foot against them, when they're penned back a bit, when there's a higher press against them, then it will be a lot more interesting to see how Hudson-Odoi copes in that. But he he has been the big beneficiary, but he's been the big beneficiary partly because he's taken his chance. He's done really well. He's working really hard. Um, and I think it, it, it's, it's looking good at the moment. And he, I fail to not... I fail to believe that Tuchel hasn't looked at what Conte did with that back five and with Victor Moses and, and taken some of that because it's so similar to, to what he did. And the role that Hudson-Odoi is playing is so similar to the role that that, uh, that Victor Moses did so well for Chelsea for a, a season or so that um, I can't believe that it, that he hasn't taken that and looked at it and thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... That part of the pitch, that that's the best I see Chelsea being. And fair play. Um, because I would have never predicted that Callum Hudson-Odoi would be a right wing back. And now it looks obvious. Yeah, I, I was... <laughs> so many thoughts going through my head on this, right? There, there are... The, the attacking three have, since Tuchel took over, not been chock full of players that you would have expected uh, in those roles. The... Style of play is, is some sort of cross between Conte and Sari, depending mm-hmm. on on how you took in those uh, in, in those teams. There's a high possession pass, pass, pass of Sari, and there's the defensive solidity and structure of Conte mixed in there. And one might surmise that in in higher press situations, Matt, you know, teams with a lot more offensive. T- gifts than let's say the Newcastles or, or Burnleys of the world can offer that Tuchel might go with Reese James and Ben Chilwell or yeah. you know, the different combinations of the back. Uh, the press has been the only thing that's worried me so far. Sheffield United press us relentlessly. Uh, Barnsley press us relentlessly. Barnsley have produced the best opposition to Chelsea. That, that's mm-hmm. the only time they've really been tested. For, for I know that I agree with you, Sheffield United had a spell and they, they pressed. I think that's a great point. Barnsley were actually the ones where you looked at it and thought, oh, you know, if you, if you press high and, and get up in their faces at the back, it, they, they could have difficulties. Do you, do you anticipate Chelsea having some sort of counter for that moving forward? Because it's clear that we've played kind of bottom-of-the-barrel opposition over the last month. Yeah, uh, you would, you know, you would imagine it. so. I mean, look, Tuchel's already proved that he's a highly intelligent coach. And so this is why I was talking about whether what we're seeing now is the sticking plaster and whether this evolves. Because, I, you know, if you come up against Leeds on one of Leeds' good days, that their energy and press, and I'm talking about them probably more so than Man United even, or or Everton, if Leeds were to have one of their good days of, of, of pressing high in their, their energy after seeing that that sort of Barnsley game, then they could cause some real difficulties. Um, I actually, I've got to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of Atletico Madrid this season. Atletico Madrid actually usually sit a bit further back uh, 
with, with Diego Simeone uh, and, and hit on the counter a bit more traditionally. I don't know quite so much how they're playing this season. I need to look at that this weekend. Five um, points at the top of the table. Yeah, well, I know where they are. I just don't know whether their style's changed. <laughs> Tr- traditionally, their style would actually suit Chelsea at the moment, I think. Um, but if they've become a bit more front-footed, um, that that could cause an issue. But this is this is where it's going to be fascinating. And I agree, you might need to bring in a Reese James then. They needed Reese James. It, the Barnsley game, I, th- I felt they actually, Reese James was, was probably their, their best player. Um, and I thought they really needed him. I also wonder whether Reese James in time can play the Aspie role on the right of a back three. He looks like he's got the attributes to be able to do that to me if he can just improve slightly on his tactical positioning. So, that, that, you know, there's so much to see yet. And this is why I think it's a really good start and it's encouraging. But I think it's really important not to get carried away because it, it's so hard to tell what this is at the moment. Is it genius? Is it a managerial bounce? Is it the perfect storm? Is it sticking plasters? We just don't know at the moment. My last one that I just want to touch on is Akim Ziyech, a man who seemed to single-handedly carry us through the Champions League qualifying stages. Um, you know, we see, you know, the two tens, as Tuchel puts it, whereas Ziyech usually finds his comfort out wide in the channels and ability to play balls in. Any thoughts or ideas or insight onto his role in this team? I'm a bit worried for Ziyech at the moment. Um, I mean, we haven't seen another way that Tuchel could play, so maybe in time we'll see a, a, another style where Ziyech fits in a bit better. But at the moment, if it were to carry on how it is, I think he's got a problem because you can see Pulisic playing as one of the two tens at, at various stages. You can see Havertz playing as one of the two tens at various stages. In the current setup, I think Ziyech is well down the list because I don't think it suits him. So I think that's a problem for Ziyech. But, as I say, we don't know whether there's another formation, whether there's an evolvement of what Chelsea are doing, whether um, Tuchel thinks he can mould Ziyech into a different type of player at the training ground over time. We don't know this, but I would say of all the players I'm most worried for at the moment would probably be Ziyech, Zuma and N'Golo Kante, but Ziyech at the top of the list. All right, well... Uh, any other questions, gentlemen, on Tuchel and the squad before we jump into summer plans? Uh, just probably a little touch on Werner, Matt, mm. and, and what your thoughts were last night. I mean, I think probably his best game in in some time, um, but still some questions out there about things like shot conversion and, and things like that. Uh, seemed really happy after the game, which was good. Seemed Seemed to maybe have gained a little bit of confidence back. What are your what are your thoughts on uh, his evolution? He's still playing out kind of on the left a little bit, you know. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a piece about him last week for my for my newsletter because I thought the Chelsea and Sheffield United games were actually very encouraging for him as well. Um, look, I think he's better suited to how he's playing the position he's playing rather than being. Look, it, it's very clear that he doesn't want to be the central striker. He doesn't think that suits him. That's become clear since he joined Chelsea, which surprised me. Um, and then he he looks more comfortable as a as a sort of left sided number ten than he does on the left of a front three when he's further t- towards the touchline. He can do damage 
in both positions because he's of his speed. But from coming from the number 10 slightly deeper and slightly more inside, he can get into the penalty area more and he can arrive later more and it gives him a little bit more space to work with. And I think he's benefited from that. I thought he was very good last night. I actually thought he was very good against Sheffield United. I think huge credit to him for keep keep going through this period he's been on. He's not hidden on the pitch. He's not... I remember used to watch Torres and I used to moan at Torres because I used to think that Torres was purposefully standing out one side of the pitch because he didn't want to get in front of goal because he was so scared of missing. And I felt a bit like that with Alvaro Morata as well. I've never had that sense with Werner. You know, his confidence was clearly low, but he wasn't avoiding getting in the situation or hiding. He wasn't hiding off the pitch. And what he continued to do, even when things were going badly for him, is he continued to impact games. He won penalties, he provided assists, he pushed defences back with his pace. He wasn't always playing great, he was missing some very good chances, but he was still impacting games. And if you can just get him back on a goal run now, I sense he's probably a streaky player, and I think the, the stats back me up on that, that even in his Leipzig career, he would go through bad runs and good runs. And before this bad run, he was in a seven goals in seven games run. So let's hope the streak now happens again. And I, I actually think it will. I mean, again, they've got a great, before they start their very tough run, they've got a great game at the weekend with Southampton who have lost six Premier League games on the bounce and can't keep a clean sheet. So great opportunity for him to keep that run. But I'm I'm encouraged by Werner. I, I really believe that Werner will be a very good signing for Chelsea. I don't have that many doubts about Werner. Same, Nick? No, no doubts. <laughs> Conversion king. No, I only tease. Uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's fair. It's fair assessment. Um, so yeah, look. Hopefully, Timo comes good in the second half of the season. Settled, uh, finds a hot streak. We play the hand over and over and, and run it to the to the top four finish. But uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back again, all about summer plans. So thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show, and uh, we'll be right back. Dan, honestly, I don't even know how to tee this one up. The, these negative fifteen degree days, and you want to talk to me about the summer? I just I can't. Yeah, it's a visual visualization exercise. You know, visualize <laughs> yourself in a warm environment. Be in a warm environment. Yeah, it doesn't work for you. No, I, I just looked outside. It looks desolate and cold. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think it's uh, you know you've had a couple of tweets about the the summer, Matt, and you've talked about you know you know David Alaba is kind of a situation. It's been monitored. It looks like he's ready to go to Real Madrid. Uh, Upamenko is going to Bayern Munich in, uh, the summer, you know, so what's your understanding of maybe kind of the, the interest that, that Chelsea had in both of these players and, and what that maybe the, the roll on effect is now for how Chelsea is looking at the, the summer window? Right. Well, the, the interest in Alaba was far, it's probably still is far stronger than it was in Upamenko. The, Chelsea scouts looked at Upamenko a lot. I know that. They did a lot of work on him. The club were attracted by the fact that, obviously, he had the release clause. So you, you know what you're paying and you know there's no um, auction happening there. And looking through Chelsea's recent history, they do like a release clause. Um, so the club were attracted to him from that point of view. The scouts did a lot of work and they liked him. But what I'm told is they weren't bowled over by him. They didn't think... There was enough there to, to say this is a guarantee. I think he would have been still seen as a gamble. And I think his 
some of his strengths are quite similar to Zuma's. Um, so I, I got the impression that before I, before he announced he was going to buy Munich, I got the impression that they could do a Pomenko, but he wasn't what they really, really want. He wasn't quite the class that they really, really want. What they want to do is they want a high, high quality centre-back who there's no gamble on. They don't want to take a gamble on this centre-back. They've, they've got a lot of talent within their pool of defenders, but they want someone who can come in and, and lead that defence and and be a sort of Rolls-Royce. And I think Thiago Silva will stay for another year, but obviously he's not going to be able to play every game as we're seeing anyway. So that's why the the, the names that we're seeing are all very high-caliber names. And look, Alaba is certainly near the top of their list. That they, they would genuinely like to sign Alaba, but there's two massive issues with Alaba, or maybe three. The biggest issue is what he wants as wages, because he's going to be a free agent. And he wants about £400,000 a week, which I think he knows he can get in certain places. That would cause Chelsea massive problems. They can afford to pay that, clearly. But what that does for the rest of the squad and your wage bill going forward and and where people value themselves within the squad, that can cause huge issues. So there's a massive reluctance to pay him £400,000 a week. Not to say they definitely won't, by the way, but massive reluctance, and I'd be surprised if they did. His wage, his wage demand might have to come down if no one will pay it, because Real Madrid have their own financial difficulties, and I'm guessing no club at the moment is going to really, if they have to, not not pay anyone four hundred thousand pounds a week. Another issue with Alaba is I'm also told by a very good source is that he wants to go to a club who will offer him opportunities in defensive midfield. Now, that actually, in a way, almost sounds heaven-sent for Chelsea, who have been looking at defence and midfielders. I'm not sure in this instance it is, though, particularly as we don't know where Tuchel stands on whether Jorginho and, and Kovacic um, are going to be his two sixes moving forwards. They, they want a specialist centre-back, and if Alaba doesn't want to be a specialist centre-back because he wants to evolve his role, that could be an issue. And then, of course, there's Real Madrid, and it's it's well known in Germany, who have better sources than me to this player, that his preference at the moment is probably Real Madrid, if Real Madrid make him the offer. I'm told he's never expressed a huge interest to come to England. But look, Chelsea are in there, and Chelsea, what sort of they, they do want him, but there's a lot of obstacles on him, so they'll certainly be looking at others, one of whom is his Bayern Munich teammate, Nicolas Sewell. Um who has had his problems in Bayern Munich, but is a good age, proven top level, again, fits into to what Chelsea are after. I don't know whether Alaba's departure on a free transfer from Bayern Munich would make buying Nicolas Sewell very difficult. I don't know that. And then a player I know that they've scouted for a long time as a club is Jimenez at Atletico Madrid, but his buyout clause is huge. So unless you can somehow get round his buyout clause or Atletico Madrid need a sale or you can trade a player in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. That's a very big deal to do. But they looked at doing that deal last summer, and he's he's won the scouts at Chelsea like a lot. I don't know so much whether he's won on Tuchel's radar as, as much. And then you have the guy that we loaned to AC Milan, and so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun going on there. Uh, I guess uh, none of those. None of those options really strike you. Like Jimenez does as like a top center back, and Alba's kind of a tweener. 
you know, can can play in a lot of different roles uh, and has played center back for Bayern Munich during their outstanding run in the Champions League last year. Sula doesn't strike me as Premier League fast from what I have seen of him. So are they looking at some someone more in the vein of uh, Kurt Zuma? Or are they looking... Do you have any idea of kind of the, the qualities that they're looking for in a center back? They want him to be dominant. Now, you can... That's the word that's been used to me. Now, that comes down slightly to interpretation because some people will think of dominant as being a very big guy who's very strong in the air, a very sort of traditional central defender. Dominant doesn't necessarily have to mean that. I mean, John Stones and his resurgence at Manchester City this season has been dominant, actually, but you wouldn't class him as that kind of defender. So it leaves a lot of room for interpretation as to what dominant means. But the word that has been used to me by my kind of sources at Chelsea is they want someone who can dominate and they want someone who can lead that defence. And like I say, I think Thiago Silva will stay under the year, but it's almost a succession plan for that. And it's almost in the knowledge that even next season, Silva will probably play even fewer games as, as time goes on. And they lack that leader at the back. Although what I would say in the last couple of games, liking what I'm seeing of Christensen, actually, I, I like, I've always liked Christensen. I've always thought there's a good player there and I, I would really like to see him given a go. Um, and I think it looked quite good the last couple of games, albeit against terrible opposition. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say oh, dominant earlier? To... Uh, yeah. yeah, but Christensen he also definitely, said... Definitely not proving himself as being dominant. Yeah. But he's an excellent... I mean, Pep Guardiola loves Christensen. Do you remember that Man City game where Guardiola yeah. made a beeline for him at the end of the match? Guardiola wanted to sign Christensen for quite some time. There's, there's, there's a top, top class player in Christensen somewhere. It's just, just bringing it out of him and molding it out of him and getting his, getting his, his character right or whatever. But it reminded me. It remind the last couple of games reminded me what a talent they have there if they can just somehow get it out of him. You, know, you um, mentioned and maybe we can quickly tie off on it. It's just the Thiago Silva staying for an extra year. Uh, it seems like Chelsea liked the idea. It seems like Thiago might like the idea. At least his, you know, his son's favorite player, Chelsea, is Mason Mount, which is pretty <laughs> wonderful and exciting. Um, what, what, you know, what do you think happens, or when do you think this kind of solidifies? It will be a sooner resolution, or is it something that will kind of play out, you know, through now and the end of the season? I think it will. Look, I don't think I don't think it needs to be done now because we would know a basic fact is is that if Silva wanted to leave Chelsea he can talk to foreign clubs from now because from January he would be allowed to do that and we would be hearing about it you know there would be hearing through sources we'd be hearing through Brazilian media we'd be hearing through everywhere that if Silva was talking to other clubs he's not so that shows you from just from an easy point of view that Silva's not looking to go anywhere that they both there is a will on both parts to do it but there's absolutely no need to rush into it at the moment and and Chelsea won't because because of his age you have to be careful you, you can't rush into it and risk him getting a an injury that that all of a sudden alters things from from Silva's point of view um and Marina does tend to leave the contracts you know she she keeps people waiting on contracts she doesn't rush into contracts but there's a will on both sides uh, people at the club love him. His his English is very limited, but I'm told that he makes himself 
understood very well that he's an adult. You know, that's a, it's a very young and inexperienced squad. And I'm told he's a real adult around the place. And he's a real, you can tell his pedigree and the way he carries himself and, the, and what he does for himself. It was interesting on, on Instagram, his recovery sessions he does on his legs. I think some of the players now are, are even going to come and buy those that he used on his legs because they can see that he's playing at 36 and he still looks about 26. You know, things like this rub off on the other players. I think he's a huge influence down there. And I think he's a good sounding... I know he was a good sounding board for Frank Lampard. Through an interpreter, I know they spoke a lot. I think Tuchel will use him like that because he knows him very well from PSG days and they clearly have a relationship. I just think there's so much experience and so much so much value to have him at your club. You wouldn't want to lose that without without really needing to. And and it works for him. He's going to play a lot. He wants to play in the next World Cup, which would be incredible for him. Um so it, it's a good deal both ways, and there's, there's really no reason for either party to, to step away from that. So to, to close this one, you, you mentioned before that Chelsea are looking at a striker and a defender, both in the highest of quality mm. areas. Um, obviously, Halan is, is the name on everybody's lips right now. Um, but is a is a Mino Raiola guy, uh, which has proven difficult in the past. So can you... Can you maybe just give us a, a thought process on one? Do Chelsea need him? Two, uh, is it even possible given the agent situation to get this over the line? Chelsea nearly signed Harlem before he went to Borussia Dortmund. They 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 sort of had him. They didn't have him in Cobham. They didn't like fly him over, but they were very close to him. They 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 were having a lot of very close talks to getting him, and I, they were they were pretty close. But they at that stage weren't keen on paying the wages and the agents' fees that Borussia Dortmund were willing to with with Haaland only having proven himself at, at Salzburg. I say only, you know, you can, I think a lot of people would say he'd already proven himself, but um, certainly from a financial perspective, I think Chelsea wanted to see a bit more before committing the kind of figures on wages and agent fees that, that Borussia did. But they were close. I mean, all the, the speculation in the papers was Man United, but I'm told in the background, Chelsea were very close. They like him a lot, um, but there's it, any any clubs trying to sign Haaland in the summer. I think is going to find it difficult. Dortmund have no great appetite to sell him. Um, his release clause doesn't kick in until the following summer, so they're under no pressure from that point of view. If they miss out on the Champions League this season, maybe they'll, they'll that'll influence them. But I suspect they'd rather sell Jaden Sancho than Haaland, and I can't believe for one minute they're going to sell both. Um, and then if you do go to sign him, if, if you can get a deal done with Borussia, his wages will be sky high because, you know, this is going to be a huge deal. He is he is at the peak of his sort of value. So wages, agents, fees, everything else. And look, the Raiola thing is an issue because while I don't think the relationship is as bad as it has been in the past when it was very raw after Lukaku and Chelsea didn't want to ever deal with him anymore, I you know, all clubs have agents that they get on better with others. And Raiola's not one that Chelsea do a lot of business with. And that's for a reason because they, they don't really like the way he operates. So that, that would be an issue. And there are other clubs out there who do deal with Raiola a lot who, who don't have the same issue with him. So again, a lot of hurdles on that deal. Um, Chelsea would love to do it on, on one respect, but whether 
the finances can work. But they, they certainly feel, I would imagine this will be the summer that Giroud finally moves on, um, which opens up a space. And the fact is, is that now we know that Werner's not going to be the, the sort of classic number nine. Even with Tammy there, they still need another number nine and they'll want a top class. But there's not many around. I mean, once you get past Haaland and Mbappe, it's it's hard to know where you go and get a proven striker from. Very difficult. Well, you got that going for us. Um, it, obviously, this is always going to be tricky. I think he checks all the boxes you can need. It does kind of remind me of the Lukaku, you know, bidding war that summer. Um, so maybe we should go ahead and figure out who the new Alvaro Morata is. <laughs> maybe well, we should... Here's one to throw in. Why not go for Lukaku? Lukaku would be an incredible signing for Chelsea. Absolutely incredible. His his numbers at Inter Milan are just ridiculous. The way he's come on as a player is just ridiculous. He bullied England when Belgium played England. And Inter Milan are in terrible financial trouble. Terrible. They've had to default on a payment on um, Hakimi, the fullback, because they can't pay it. They've got real problems. If I was Chelsea, if you can't get Haaland, go and get Lukaku. Finally bring him home. Do you think, what's what's the angle for Lukaku? Is that redemption? Prove himself in the Premier League? Um, because it seems like he's in love in in, in Milan oh, with Conte. He is in love with Milan and he is in love with Conte. And he, he what, what has really helped Lukaku is he's playing for a coach who 100% believes that he is the best striker in the world. Whereas previously at, at the bigger clubs, at Man United particularly, and during his time at Chelsea, I don't think he ever felt that belief from his managers. Conte, I can tell you now, having done the interview with him, will argue until death that Lukaku is the best striker in the world, however much you try to prove him wrong. But look, Inter have genuinely got terrible financial difficulties. Terrible. They could win the league this season, in which case then he'll have won the league with them. I think Man City are being linked with Lukaku. I think there probably will be an, an opportunity for clubs should they want to make a bid for Lukaku to do so. Whether he would want to come back, given his his time at Chelsea and given the move that never happened, I don't know. He might feel it's his destiny. But look, I I think he would be an absolutely outstanding signing. I have to check his age again. He's 27. 27, 27 yeah. still? Jeez. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a young buck still, man. It, it, and I, I don't know if it's just slow Italian defenders or my TV, but he he looks like he's picked up pace somehow. He, look, I, I've, he I was, was huge at United, so anything he dropped massive, from his yeah. United days will he be just good to speed. Lo- he's, he's, he's blazing. His, his numbers at United, though, were not bad. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at his United numbers, they weren't bad. And look, I was astonished when England played Belgium recently a few months ago the way he bullied England. I mean, he he really did take England's defence to pieces on his own. They could not cope with him. And as you say, it was through the old power, but it was through pace as well. He looks tactically a much better player. This is all speculation, by the way. I do... I love it. Not, this is not based... This Harland, I have information on. Um, Alaba, I have information on. I've thought this one up off the top of my head on. I'm like this is me. This is we're in dreamland at the moment. Reckless speculation. Yes, <laughs> Matt scouting services. <laughs> uh, well, hey, look, it. 
maybe that comes back up again, you know, and and maybe he's the a cheaper alternative to Holland. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, I've I've stitched myself up here though because now you get round to a stage where it becomes real and and I have to write it. I've, yeah, everyone's going to think I've dreamed it up off the top of my head because that's what I've done on your show today. That's amazing. That's <laughs> it, it, just breaking news. That's all. Yeah, that's fine. So now you have to go find the evidence to prove it. So good luck oh, yeah. with that journey. Yeah, but hey, exactly. Matt. Thanks for hanging out with us again. Um, always great to talk to you. It sounds uh, sounds like you're doing well over there, so stay safe and stay healthy. You too, guys. Good to see you. Hey, don't forget, Matt's got his uh, newsletter at the Telegraph site, so if you want more Matt Law outside of the podcast, go check it out, and obviously the rest of his stuff is on the Telegraph site. Dan, Nick, gentlemen, thank you. But That's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. 